The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. These are your headlines. China's CSI 300 index trades near bull market territory, bouncing off its October lows as trading restarts following the week-long Lunar New Year holiday. Nissan and Renault reportedly prepare to unveil the details of their restructured alliance with the French auto giant seen cutting its stake in the Japanese firm to just 15%. Optimism over China's return from the Lunar New Year break helps boost oil prices, while BP casts doubt over the demand outlook as it trims its long-term forecast. The chip war heats up as US, Dutch and Japanese officials reportedly inch closer to a deal limiting the sale of advanced chip technology to China. And Philips' fourth quarter revenue beats expectations as the company looks to address operational challenges. We're going to speak with the CEO, Roy Jacobs. That interview coming up in just a few moments. Good morning, everybody. Let's um, start off with Asia. And very good morning, Karen, morning. to you yes, as well. Monday. We're absent one. Steve is we on are. the road, so we'll hear from him a little later on in the week. And then I'll be heading off to Zurich after this. Yes, busy earnings week all round, isn't it? It certainly is. Mm. Uh, lots of tech to talk about as well. We've got a special guest for you uh, on the tech earnings coming up uh, in uh, an hour or so's time. So we'll get to that conversation. But first, let's focus on the Asian markets here as the Chinese markets reopen after this long break. And what's interesting, I think, about the trade is we, we still see Hong Kong uh, in negative territory. The CSI 300 index, which is this major cap-weighted index of the uh, Shenzhen and uh, Shanghai uh, 300 largest stocks, came out of the gates very strongly. We're off the top, I think, but we're still up uh, three-quarters of 1% with both Shenzhen and Shanghai in positive territory this hour. There's been an awful lot of news around the China reopening over the weekend. Let's get out to Sam to pull it all together for us. Good morning, Sam. Good morning to you, Jeff and Karen. As you say, a strong start to the year of the rabbit for mainland Chinese stocks. As you mentioned, the blue chip index getting a really good start out of the gate for the first day of trade, of course, after playing catch-ups uh, for being off all week last week for the Spring Festival. And we have lost a little bit of altitude. Uh, the CSI 300 index now sitting up around eight-tenths of 1%. We were looking at around at 2% higher at the start of the session. Uh, the Shanghai Composite also sitting up around half of a percent higher. Uh, as well. But that does seem to be getting a nice lift from a few sectors today. We have got consumption stocks that are gaining those consumer staples. They've been sitting up around 2% higher today. That does come off the back of a strong rebound, certainly in consumption. When you look at uh, box office sales, uh, for instance, uh, sitting up around 6 billion uh, yuan, that's six, uh, $988 million. That was the second highest ever on record. So it really does look like what that tells us is that 
We have seen a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, of course, a, a rebound and some recovery in the consumption story is good news for China. It really needs to rely on this side of the equation now as it is looking to offset and mitigate that slowing overseas demand in terms of those softer exports. Economists have also been saying that the hype and the messaging uh, is also important uh, for China in terms of uh, painting a, a positive image there. So that really seems to be helping lift sentiment today. Uh, investors also encouraged by the domestic trips that were made over the uh, holiday period. People zipping across the country, planes, trains and automobiles uh, back to those long-awaited reunions. We've got to remember that this is the first major holiday. It's the first Chinese New Year since China uh, got rid of it, scrapped those very harsh elements of its zero-COVID strategy. And so we did see, of course, the tourism uh, revenues also rebounding. In terms of the numbers, uh, we saw around a 20% increase in terms of uh, domestic trips, uh, tourism revenues up around 30%. That was year on year. But if you compare that to 2019, we've actually seen a recovery of around 70 to 88% uh, in terms of that tourism. So that is certainly uh, good news. Uh, for the entire travel rush, domestic trips uh, recovered around 50% of 2019 levels. So we have certainly seen a recovery, but still not up to pre-pandemic uh, levels. There does seem to be still perhaps some self-imposed restrictions, people still holding back. Uh, but while we have certainly seen a, a little bit of a recovery, the big question now uh, is how long that will continue for and whether people will continue to spend their money. Uh, and that is the big question for investors moving forward. But for now, at least, investors do be uh, encouraged, certainly by the signs we are getting that the COVID situation is improving. We've had the Chinese government out today, actually the CDC, uh, saying that China's current wave is nearing an end. No significant jump in cases uh, during the holiday that comes off the back of around 6,000 COVID-related deaths reported during that week, which was down from the pre previous week. Uh, so that, as I said, is continuing to help lift sentiment as well, although there are still worries uh, about the countryside and whether we'll see the impact of that uh, wave, given that people have been travelling to the hinterland. But the next thing, of course, to watch out for uh, is the PMI data that we'll be getting out tomorrow, the first glimpse of the January data uh, for some evidence and some proof as to really how this recovery is holding up in the numbers. Guys, back to you in London. Terrific, Sam. Thank you so much for the coverage. Numbers crossing from medical equipment company Philips this morning, and this is an important reset day for the business. What we've got uh, as it crosses for the fourth quarter, the company producing fourth quarter revenue of 5.4 billion versus an estimate of about 4.94 billion uh, euros. The operating income level 171 million, free cash flow adjusted basis 540 million, EBITDA margin 7.4%. The adjusted EBITDA, that's at 654 million. Uh, the company is seeing some improvement in the fourth quarter. The Q4 comparable sales up 3%. The uh, comparable sales forecast were uh, expected to fall 5.2%, so some improvement on that line in particular. I mentioned the adjusted EBITDA line of 651 million. Consensus was for a lower number of 420 million, so a beat on that line and on the sales print of 5.4. That was a beat versus a consensus of just over the 5 billion mark. A net loss of 106 million is what's being produced. So uh, let's get into uh, what we're seeing with the company. Roy Jacobs joins us now. Now, the CEO of Philips, Roy, just run us through the numbers today. The fourth quarter, the uh, final three months as you closed out the year. Were there any signs of improvement in your view? 
Yeah, as you could see, uh, we were happy to see the sales uh, turning to 3% positive. Uh, that was helped by additional supply that we were able to secure. That also shows that if we get the supply, we can convert the order book and actually we can drive sales. So that's something that we need to continue to work on as the environment remains volatile. And we also know that the uh, reliability of supply chain still needs to be strengthened. But it was a first sign of the uh, interventions that we are taking to secure a better supply chain outcome and therefore see growth and then also on the back of that profit increase. Well, just unpick the supply chain issues for us at this point. What is it going to take to provide that resilience that you, you're seeking and how long will it take to achieve that? Yeah, I think um, we're looking at short and longer term measures. So in the short term, it's critical that we secure the real short components that have been holding us back in certain lines of our businesses. Because we see a differentiated picture. In personal health, for example, our consumer business, we're currently unconstrained in supply. So there actually we can deliver. On the health system side, we see some shortages continue. We still have certain e-components, chips that we cannot yet uh, get in the quantities that we need. We also have some other components that are not yet reliable for in the market. So we have our orders placed, but we're not exactly sure or confirmed when we get them. So that makes that we have still volatility to manage. At the same time, we're also taking more structural measures to look at our product portfolios. We are pruning our product portfolio, we're redesigning our products, and also we are reorganizing how we make our supply chain more robust. So we are taking our supply chain from a functionally organized supply chain into a business organized supply chain that really tailors around the segment there serves. Um, Roy, can we also talk about profitability? Uh, what's the outlook then for profitability for full year 2023? So in the guidance uh, today that we give out, we mentioned that we are going to take up profitability to high single digit in 2023, up from the 7.4% in Q4 that you saw um, uh, that, that came out, also 7.4% uh, uh, for the year that you saw. So we are taking profitability up uh, on the back of getting back to growth in 2023. Uh, we guide there on low single digit uh, and also making sure that we work both on the margin side increasing prices, extracting more value out of the portfolio that we have, as well as making sure that we contain our costs and manage the inflation well. I wanted to ask about that because clearly inflation on the input side is a challenge at the moment. Are you managing to pass through most of that additional cost? So we are able to uh, pass through more cost, not yet in full because we have an order book that has been uh, placed actually also in part in the past. So people have uh, put in their orders at prices from, for example, a year ago, as we certain in certain products lines, we still have lead times of a year. So there actually you're still combating the old pricing. But the new prices we are able to pull uh, through, and that's also where you see that the improvement in margin is coming in and will help us in due course of 2023 to support us in our margin uh, realization. And can I ask you about the COVID situation in China specifically? We just had a report, as you will have heard, uh, from Sam out in Singapore talking about the post-COVID reopening of the stock markets and perhaps some belief that the infection numbers may have peaked, although very difficult to say at this stage. What would that mean for you and how do you foresee the reopening affecting you both uh, positively and perhaps negatively? 
Yeah, China is a very important market for us, uh, both from a demand perspective, because it's an attractive market for with growth opportunities, which actually have been depressed given recent uh, uh, COVID developments in China. But it's also very important, as you know, for our supply situation. So on both ends, it's really important for us. And therefore, it's good news if we see the COVID situation improve. We also know from our own operation and organization that actually we had many of our colleagues going through COVID in recent weeks and months. And also there we see that actually it's improving. So indeed, we expect that in due course of 2023, we will see a strengthening of the situation in China. COVID hopefully getting less of an impact. But at the moment, we do still see the impact. We see hospitals being overloaded where we can, for example, then not install our equipment. We do also see some consumer demand impact that has had us significantly impact in Q4. We expect some of that in, uh, in Q1. But we also actually uh, see an uptick and we expect an uptick in China coming later in the year. Void, let me dig into the respiratory devices, a well-documented recalls here, which has roiled the, the share price. What type of market share gains are you seeking to recapture here? Because I note rivals like ResMed, for instance, have done particularly well during this gap in the market that's transpired. Yeah, first priority for us still is to complete the recall. And there we provide an update and uh, we, as promised, have hit the 90% production mark by end of year for the devices that we need to remediate. We need to finish that. We need to get to the 100% and get the patients uh, 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 served with these devices. And then we can indeed go back to the market. Now in there, we need to see how exactly that's going to pan out. We are determined to restore our business position. It will take time, it will take effort, but the first priority is on uh, remediating the patients. Roy, how long is the shadow when it comes to reputational damage around the recall? I think uh, what we see and what's really heartening actually is that from a both brand reputation as well as customer uh, confidence, and you see that actually displayed in the more than 100 long-term partnerships that we closed in 2023, we have seen that actually that the customer trust is still high. The healthcare industry really needs innovation. They see Philips as a partner to provide that innovation to them, both in the hospital, but also more and more how we can provide solutions into the home. So actually, whilst we need to make sure that we really uh, make uh, conduct the recall in the best possible manner, finish it well, treat the patients well, by doing that, it will help to restore our trust with the patients, with the regulators, and also uh, with our customers, in particularly the segment. But in consumer confidence, we have big trust. If you look to a lot of other customer segments and health systems, we have a lot of customer trust that actually helps us to continue to grow and play in that market. Roy, as you point out in your own commentary, 2022 was a, a, a tough year for Philips and you've, you've come in and you've uh, started to take action already on areas where you think there's underperformance. Just a couple of lines, please. I'm, I'm interested to know what your plans are for the diagnostics and treatment business here because there was a, a modest reduction, I think, in the comparable sales number. And also um, what Philips uh, is going to look like going forward because I think you've also announced job cuts. So what kind of business are we talking about for the rest of the year? Yeah, so I um, reveal indeed today how we're going to create value with sustainable impact for Philips. And I think what is important to understand, if you look to Philips, we have been working very hard to refocus on health technology. And we have now built a very strong portfolio there where we have 70% of number one or two positions. But we have not been extracting the value out of those segments because we did not execute well. So the strategy I present today is very much focused on organic growth, 
focusing on the portfolio that we have and getting the most out of them. Now, doing that with a tailored approach per segment, because as you rightly call out, we have the IGT, the uh, image cardiotherapy business, which is about the future of minimally invasive surgery, which is a huge growth opportunity, and we are very well positioned. There we need to dial up the growth. But then on the other hand, we have also an imaging business where we need to improve the margins strongly, where we need to work very uh, hard on operational excellence, on getting the innovations that we also have there, for example, the helium-free MR, out into the market and improve that position. So we go with a tailored approach per segment, as well as making sure that we continue to deliver really meaningful innovation. So the second pillar of my plan is how we get to more patient and people-driven innovation. We will do that by bringing more innovation into the business. We have traditionally been doing relatively uh, significant part of our innovations in corporate research. That has been yielding results, but in the current day and age, you need to be closer to the customer. So we'll be moving innovation into the businesses. And then by moving in there, we'll make sure we execute well. And in execution, I have three clear priorities. First is patient safety and quality. Second um, is how we improve the supply chain. Thirdly is how we simplify the organization. As part of simplifying the organization, we give single accountability to the businesses, supported by lean functions and strong regions. And then also we have indeed a reduction in workforce, where we further reduce 6,000 roles. Now, that's a significant reduction, which we need to execute with all um, the care for the people. But it is a necessary intervention to also help us to become competitive and lean in the way how we go forward in the market. Roy, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Best of luck with the turnaround plan. Uh, Roy Jacobs, the CEO of Philips. Let's move on to Ryanair. We've had some third quarter numbers from Ryanair and quite an extensive commentary on how they see full year 2023 and what actions they're taking to try and make the best of the year ahead here. So just some numbers on uh, the third quarter. Adjusted profit before tax was forecast at 200 million euros. The uh, adjusted profit has come in at 211 million euros with a revenue line of 2.31 billion. The uh, group says they now see adjusted profit after tax for full year 2023 at the 1.3 to 1.43 billion level. They say they have reasonable visibility for the rest of 2023. They are backing their forecast for 168 million passengers for full year 2023. Although they uh, do say, even as um, they swung back into a profit for the third quarter, that they expect the fourth quarter to be loss-making due to the absence of Easter uh, for March. Um, the group uh, has a number of comments uh, attributed to the CFO and the CEO. We don't expect uh, any M&A from here on in. The past two weekends we've seen record bookings and the strongest performer was UK outbound. The uh, group um, also with a, a little bit of news on the fuel hedging program here. So the group says that um, full year, uh, first half 24 fuel hedging increased to 60% to cover at uh, $90 uh, per barrel here. There is a, um, a charge as well on a mark-to-market basis uh, on the fuel side um, that will be uh, recognized but is excluded from the numbers they've delivered here. Um, in terms of other news out of the business, um, Ryanair 
market share gains vis uh, well you know what they run through a number of countries i don't think it's necessarily germane unless you want to dig into the detail we can always um, get into that a little bit later on but it's basically a breakdown on a country by country basis and given the number of countries they fly to we could be here for some time could be here all day. Yeah. i think the reality is a lot of the investors are more optimistic on the sector now thinking that the return of travelers to the sky the reduction in capacity in recent years is a positive when it comes to profitability and you saw the analysts change their view on the back of updated forecasts even a, a short time ago from the company. The other point here about M&A, we had the collapse of Flybe again on the weekend, uh, one of the carriers here in the UK. So I guess a pushback again on the consolidation here. Flybe, of course, has collapsed previously, but uh, here we go again. So it does pose question marks over the profitability of some quarters of the sector again. But I think the other point that a lot of analysts are looking for is that there could be a trading down to some of the budget carriers where there's still appetite for a lot of travellers to go and see places they haven't been to because of COVID lockdown. So they still want to fly, but obviously cost, price sensitivity becomes an issue now because of the cost of living crisis, uh, increased interest rates. So perhaps they flip to a cheaper carrier from the legacy ones. And that's where the analysts see it being a fairly bright year for some of these carriers like Ryanair. Yeah, and what's interesting is, is the, uh, the group says we are seeing very robust demand into Easter and the summer without fair stimulation. So they're not having to, to cut fares too aggressively to actually get those bookings done. So um, we better go and book a, a trip is what the long and short we, of it. <laughs> we are encouraged by the bookings at this point, says the CFO. So it does feel as though there's a bit of a land grab going on, customers trying to get their yeah. fares and their holidays. There'll be no cheap tickets at the end of the day. Organised, I doubt it. Um, Renault and Nissan have reportedly reached a deal to restructure their alliance. We'll have details on that story. And for more on the optimism pushing mainland Chinese markets higher, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Big news for luxury stocks. Kering has appointed Sabato De Sano as the new creative director of Gucci. The 39-year-old Italian designer spent years working behind the scenes at Valentino. De Sano will replace Alessandro Michele, who left Gucci abruptly last year amid room and tensions with senior management. Kering is looking to kickstart Gucci's growth, which has stalled in recent years, having made up around two-thirds of Kering's profits in 2021. Of course, we were talking about the Gucci effect a number of years ago, but that faded over the course of time, and uh, we're looking for a reboot here of Gucci and, of course, uh, for Kering stock. Elsewhere, Renault has reportedly reached a deal with Nissan to lower its stake in the Japanese automaker to 15%. That is down from 43%. Nissan is also reportedly set to invest in the French carmaker's new EV unit. The firms are expected to release a statement on the restructured alliance today. Fair to say the bankers are looking over all the numbers and working out the cut and who gets what in this uh, new arrangement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit about the oil price. Um, oil is a little bit easier here, but there has been momentum in the price 
price per barrel of oil on expectations of what the Chinese reopening would mean for the global economy. BP, meanwhile, has cut its outlook for global and oil gas demand in its annual energy outlook report. It says the war in Ukraine means countries will invest more in renewables, BP anticipating that assuming the current trajectory uh, of oil demand is around 5% lower in 2035, uh, that would be um, less than it uh, believed last year at 93 million barrels a day. It sees natural gas demand 6% weaker. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.